the other side of toxic Christianity, I found myself faced with one question. Now what? This podcast is about that question. We have conversations with folks who are asking themselves the same things. We're picking up the pieces of a fractured and fragmented faith. We're finding treasure in what the church called trash, beauty, and solidarity in people and places we were told to fear, reject, and dismiss. I'm Tammy Spencer-Helms, and this is Life After Leaven. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to this episode of Life After Leaven. I'm your host, Tammy Spencer-Helms, and I'm actually fangirling this week. I have April A. Joy on this week, um, and I'm really, really excited. So, April, I'm sure people already know who you are, but if you could just tell us who you are, where you're from, and what you do, and then we'll jump into the episode. Sure. My, my name is April Joy, as you already said. I... I, I guess I've kind of fallen into social media skits. I, I don't know videos. I, I sometimes I wear wigs or um, I just make. I, I call it humorously detoxing American Christianity or evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. Um, I still consider myself Christian, but I'm an ex-evangelical, and I call out a lot of the harm that's in the church, like Christian nationalism, and mm-hmm. but I try to do it in. Not all the time, but I try to do it in kind of a funny way, I guess. Because if I don't laugh, I'll cry type of situation. <laughs> Indeed. Um, yes, yes. Indeed. So that's kind of what I do. And as I, I would say, I am a former Christian nationalist. So uh-huh. yeah, I used to be one. So yeah. part of what I do is talk about my time in it and mm-hmm. then compare it to Christian nationalism of today. Yeah. I would love to like jump into that. So the season, season two is all is called, you know, we're here and we're queer. But I feel like having you on the show is exciting to me. So I might ask all kinds of questions that may not just center like just into queer realities. But I wanted to have you on because I mentioned um, the fangirling. I saw you on Instagram and the first skit I saw you do was like, is deconstruction sexy? And it was like this, like very, (laughs) it was just very well done. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a fan. But I wanted to talk a little bit about something else that you posted where you're talking about you and your spouse working through what it means to kind of come out in terms of gender expression and identity uh, because my partner did the same when we started dating um, they were using she pronouns she they pronouns um, and then quickly after our dating started was kind of like actually um, I'm moving more towards trans mask but I didn't know how to tell you that and so we had to have this like kind of conversation about it and it's been really interesting to kind of like watch my spouse become themselves and like feel at home in their skin for the first time. So it's been really fun. And I wanted to know like, what's that been like for you? Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So we, if I, if there's more, if you want more information, we, my spouse and I have our whole, we tell our entire story on a podcast called the non-binary marriage podcast that goes into like excruciating detail because it's a very long story. But um, the gist is when we started dating, um, they, their name's Beecher. Um, you know, they were identifying straight cisgender, mm-hmm. um, male, like your typical mm-hmm. Christian guy. Um, yeah. and I was obviously cisgender female. And so we were this kind of embodiment of your perfect looking evangelical darling couple. Mm-hmm. You know, we got our pastor married us <laughs> and it was, we came down the aisle to all sons and daughters. Like it was Cringy. We actually got married at the Founders Inn, which is on the same campus as CBN and the 700 Club. Oh my gosh. So, like, yes. when I say evangelical darlings, like, oh my we were, gosh. Yeah, it was, 
we were like the poster children for <laughs> white evangelicalism. Um, wow. Anyway, Regents. So, so y'all were near Regent. Y'all got married on Regents campus. Yeah. Well, we yeah. met at Regent. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I grew up in Chesapeake. So oh, mm-hmm. we went to church in Chesapeake for a long time because so when we first got married, I um, about a year in, I started working for the 700 Club. Oh gosh. And Beecher was working as this like um they were like over all the video production at a large church in Chesapeake. Oh my gosh. So yeah. Um so anyway, back to the ginger stuff. Yes, I'm sorry. sorry. No, you're fine. Wait a minute, what? Yeah. So about a month into us dating, Beecher um confessed to me through like bawling tears that when they were in fifth grade one time, their mom accidentally put um, their sister's clothes in their room and then they tried them on mm-hmm. and they really like it was, they felt euphoric and they felt really happy and they didn't know what to deal with that. Wow. And they completely shut it down. Like I think somewhere during this season, they had also seen um, some Dr. Phil episode that <laughs> their mom was watching about like a transition gone like horribly wrong, oh my God. Um, which just like scarred them forever. Cause they, they had no concept of what transgender was. Cause even right. I, I probably grew up, um, a little more sheltered when it came to like, my parents were a little more strict than Beecher's parents, mm-hmm. but even still like they were never around any queer people, definitely yeah. no trans people. Like if someone came out in their family, they just disappeared. Like they, they mm-hmm. never saw them again. So yeah. Beecher had no idea what was going on. They had no language for it. They just thought they were a freak. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. they really threw themselves into purity culture um, and we're really good at it. Like, yeah, queer people are the best. Cover for queer people. <laughs> I was super good at it and super yeah. judgmental too. Yep, yep, yep. Beecher had checked all those boxes. Um, so anyway, so he they tell me this uh, a month into us dating, and I'm naive still, and I have no idea what this means. I, you know, I I knew gayness was wrong, but I didn't really we didn't really talk about trans back yeah. in when was it 2012, 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just like, oh, okay, well, that's it. You wore your sister's clothes one time in fifth grade and like they'd never done anything since. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. that's not a big deal. Like, why are you holding all this shame? I should have known that there was something more to it just based yeah. on like the complete unraveling that yeah. was going through. Um, but we had, we had no concept for it. So anyway, long story short, we start dating um, and then we get engaged, but it was like, so the way Beecher's dysphoria started manifesting was in projecting all of their shame onto me because I had to do this big confession to them of like, you know, I have had sex before marriage, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, which I had to confess pretty much everyone I met at that point. Like, well, so, you know, I am damaged. So before you want to like come into a relationship with me, I did mess up. <laughs> um, so I've got flower petals out there somewhere yep, yep. Oh my, my, my rose is scattered <laughs> oh <my> um, <laughs> uh, yeah so uh so anyway so Beecher was projecting all of that onto me it was we had a very unhealthy relationship for a long time it's really a miracle mm-hmm. that we even mm. ate it um but yeah so anyway they were going through gender dysphoria we had no mm-hmm. concept of what that was we had never even heard that term so we mm-hmm. thought it was a demon for a mm-hmm. while. We actually thought it was three demons to be specific. Um, oh my gosh. 
Yeah, I, I don't really remember. type of demon, if you will. <laughs> yeah, we named them. I don't remember what they were. I know it was like the demon of lust, the demon of like sexual perversion. And I don't know if the other one was confusion or I don't know. But we had definitely had names for these demons. And Beecher was Baptist, but I was Pentecostal. Oh, yeah. So I, was like, I know how to handle a demon. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so Beecher... To be fair, Beecher asked me. I didn't just do it without their consent, but I have literally laid hands on them mm-hmm. and tried to cast the demons out mm-hmm. of them. Oh, yeah. So not my brightest moment. Um, <laughs> and, you know, spoiler alert, nothing changed. <laughs> so either I was a bad Pentecostal or it wasn't a demon. You had to use the right oil. I was at I I was at IHOP KC. So, Ooh, yeah. You knew about demons. Oh, yeah, too. I know about demons. <laughs> I give them names too. <laughs> right, familiar. there was like this, this like narrative, like if you name the demon, they'll listen. <laughs> like, and it's like, very creative. Names. Just yeah. start naming stuff, Jezebel, and mm. you know, you just start naming random biblical characters and calling. Mm-hmm. Indeed. So you guys, so so that was what like 2013 when he when 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 they confessed, and so you're, now it's like 10 years later. What like? Did deconstruction like kind of open the door for you all to begin to walk into that? Or how how did you get to the place where you were affirming and just out about it? Yeah. So it was a long process. Um, Mm -hmm. We we kind of eventually decided, okay, this is clearly not going away. This is not a demon. Um, And we kind of went through we went through different waves of what we thought it was like. Mm -hmm. First, it was a demon. Then we're like, well, maybe it's just like an addiction. Maybe you have an addictive personality and you're addicted to women's clothes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, and then at one point, we're like, maybe it's just a fetish. Maybe you just got mm. a kink, you know, like, <laughs> just like, but, but eventually we were like, well, you know, maybe we shouldn't have shame because I didn't know whenever like they would feel shame about mm-hmm. it, it manifested in like really unhealthy ways and mm-hmm. anger um, mm-hmm. and depression. Mm-hmm. Um, so, mm-hmm. Nothing helped though. We went, we tried all these different things and really we were doing it alone. Okay. We didn't have anyone to talk to about Mm -hmm. it. And we were, we were pretty scared to look it up online because if it was a Christian article about it, it was like, it's a demon. Mm -hmm. If it was a secular, you know, secular article Mm -hmm. about it, it was like, be who you are, transition. (laughs) And like that freaked us out at the time. We were like, no. No. <laughs> um it is really lonely though. I mean it's like funny in hindsight, but I I mean it is like deconstruction and stuff is really it's a really lonely process. Yeah. Yeah, and there's there is no one to talk to about it in the church because yeah. like people would just assume, oh, it's just like some kind of sex addiction and like treat a mm-hmm. teacher like they had a porn addiction, which all the men had because that's like the socially acceptable sin to have as a man in the church. Um, but wearing a dress, no, that we draw a line there. That's weird. Like, <laughs> it's so messed up. Like I remember in one of my not so bright moments, I like looked at Beecher after they had just like confessed through tears that they had worn one of my dresses that day while I was gone. I was just like, why can't you be addicted to porn? Like a normal Christian guy. <laughs> It's so messed up. Oh my gosh. This is, I mean, but I think it's what's so interesting is like what I love about you guys is that y'all are really honest with people about it. And I think that there's, there is so much, um, 
nuance to it. And there is so much like, there are like tiny like humps you have to get over to get to the place where you're not only open, but you're like able to help other people be open using humor. And I think that that's like, I think that that's brilliant. I, I love, I just love the things that you're doing because when people are laughing, it makes you kind of realize how foolish some of the stuff you've done and believed is, but it also doesn't make you feel so much shame because you get to laugh about how ridiculous some yeah. of this stuff was. Like, I, I really do appreciate that. So you, so you're saying that you all, you, you ask teacher why they can't have a foreign addiction and so like was there like a was there like a climactic moment was there a crux of these conversations like how did it how yeah. did it get over the line like over I, the line? yeah so I'd say I probably lived in denial for the first several years of our marriage and then okay. after we had kids um we had our first daughter and then Beecher had a lot of dysphoria around okay. like me being the mom and having all these you know, like I was nursing and I was doing all these typical mom roles and they were, they were just, they had a really hard time with it because mm -hmm. they felt like it, it just really brought their dysphoria to the surface, which we didn't really know, but they went to a very dark, mm -hmm. depressed state. Um, so then at that point they were like, I've got to see a counselor. But mm -hmm. at that point we were still terrified of someone telling us it's okay to do this mm -hmm. because we, you know, hell and sin and all the, all the typical yes. didn't want to get left behind from the rapture. <laughs> um, so, so we got, <laughs> yeah. So, so we found a, a Christian counselor, which I think was who they needed at the time. Cause they just needed someone to talk to about it. But really Beecher was educating her on gender dysphoria and like was wow. telling her terms that she didn't know about. So it wasn't like the most helpful. And right. then I guess it kind of all came to a head. Um, I mean, it was a constant battle on and off our entire marriage. I was able to live in a little bit more of denial because mm -hmm. Beecher didn't always share everything with me. Um, uh, not not like out of secrecy, but just because I told them like, I can't handle this on top of being a new mom and all these mm -hmm. other things. Yeah. Um, so 2020, Mm -hmm. um, actually before, right before 2020, right before I had our second child in, um, 2019, Beecher actually went to a 12 step group at our church, Gosh. um, because like they were, they were advertising it at the, in Sunday service. Like, Oh, if you have, if you struggle with anything, it doesn't have to be drugs or alcohol, like any type of addiction, like come to this 12 step group, blah, blah, blah. And Beecher actually went twice and, I think it was really eye-opening for them because like in a 12-step group, these people were like in and out of prison for mm -hmm. like drugs, like they had been violent. It was just like it, on one hand, Beecher felt better about what they were dealing with. But then on the other hand, it just made them feel even weirder. Like I can't even connect with people in a 12-step mm -hmm. group. Um, wow. Yeah. And so, and then when we had, we had, um, our second daughter in 2019. And so that kind of got put on hold again for a while. Cause I was just mm -hmm. like, I am survival mode. I got a newborn. Mm -hmm. Um, and then 2020 happened Yep, and we were all home <laughs> and there was suddenly like no distraction. And like Beecher and I, like our whole family, we, we lived in a pretty small house at the time. Like we were all on top of each other. Like there was no running from it. It mm -hmm. was just, there, Beecher was home all the time. Beecher couldn't distract themselves from mm -hmm. this thing that was inside. Oh. Um, and so 
we it got to a very unhealthy place. Uh, Beecher, you know, had said in a few different moments, like they didn't think they wanted to live mm-hmm. anymore. Um, and so they started seeing a counselor who like actually specialized in gender mm. and, um, and like trans issues. So, um, and she had, I, I don't know if she was a Christian or she was like, had been a Christian, mm-hmm. so she understood, like religion and religious trauma and all mm-hmm. everything that goes into that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Beecher started figuring themselves out and like praying about it. And like, we were praying the, through the whole thing. Cause mm-hmm. like, um, but there was this one really pivotal moment, um, in our relationship where, I was not the best. Like I'm great. Like I'm super supportive now, but I was, it was really hard for me to accept because mm-hmm. I one, I also grew up a, a preacher's kid. Mm-hmm. So the idea of like being worried about what people would think yeah. was still like really bothersome to me. Like people mm-hmm. already thought I was like a Marxist because I didn't <laughs> vote for Trump. And like I was like, what are they gonna think of me now? Which yeah. you know, but then like my brain would be like, these people already think I'm a Marxist, just mm-hmm. Like they already don't like me. This is, mm-hmm. they're not going to change their opinion about me if Beecher stays mm-hmm. this gender to them. Right. Um, mm. So, but Beecher had this moment where they were just bawling and kind of said in so many words, like they just, they didn't want to wake up the next mm-hmm. morning. And it just kind of like a light bulb went off in my mm-hmm. head. And so I grabbed Beecher's hand and I took him into our closet and I like kind of, put one of my dresses on them and I just looked at them and I was like, I would rather you be alive in a dress than mm-hmm. dead in men's clothes. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of like, I think like that's, that's what the battle is right now. It yeah. was between life and death. And it was just kind of like, who cares how mm-hmm. Beecher presents or what they wear? Like, it's just fabric. And, uh, mm-hmm. and then I was kind of like, I- I've been so like, um, like hypocritical because I wear men's sweatpants like every single day and, <laughs> yeah you know, no one says anything to me about it and I don't think anything of it. Like what's the difference? Um, and so, I mean, I'd love to say I was perfect from then on out, but you know, old habits die hard and the little conservative girl in me still pops up every once in a while. (laughs) It's just horrified at, at where she's at. But, um, but yeah, so then Beecher came out to realize they were non-binary because they just said they felt kind of in between, like they didn't Mm -hmm. really feel, um, they didn't feel male and they didn't feel female. They felt kind of both or neither, yeah, depending gotcha. on the moment. Um, so Hold just, on, I have a yeah, child yeah, calling yeah. me. One second. Um, so when a partner like is going through dysphoria, um, I remember, I think it's okay for me to share, but like I remember my partner telling me how far they want to go in terms of transition. And it was a really difficult moment, not because of like, not again, it was a very similar situation. Like they had someone look them in the face and say, I'd rather you be dead than Mm -hmm. non-binary. Like someone very close to them. And it made no sense to me how anyone could say something like that. But I did, when they came to me about it, the question that I had was like, well, what does that mean about me? Because now, like, I thought I was gay, but if you're not a girl, like, like, how do I, like, what is my role in this? And, and I, I know that for me, letting them kind of go on their process of figuring out who they were actually brought up my own identity issues. Do you feel like 
that's happening for you or happened for you when Beecher was doing their stuff or? Yeah, yeah, totally. Like one of my my biggest hangups about it was like, what if I lose attraction for you? Yeah. Um, you know, because I married what I thought was a cisgender mm-hmm. man. And now mm-hmm. you're telling me you're not that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to start presenting more feminine. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so it was definitely a conversation that we had had a lot. Um, and I, so it definitely sent me on my own journey mm-hmm. um, of figuring out, well, one, can I be attracted to Beecher presenting mm-hmm. more feminine? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, does that mean I'm, does that make me buy? Does yeah. that, you know? Um, so I, <laughs> I started going to therapy myself, mm-hmm. um, which also I had like a lot of hangups on just around my own sexuality anyway, yeah. because of purity culture, mm-hmm. um, like Beecher was great and like a super supportive partner and had been wanting mm-hmm. me to like figure myself out for a long time. I mm-hmm. just couldn't cause I had this in my head that like my pleasure as a woman didn't matter. Um, so I was always kind of taking a back seat mm-hmm. in our sex life anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I did it like Beecher wasn't making me do that. I would just mm-hmm. like, oh, my pleasure doesn't matter. So like I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've talked about this some on my channel, but like I mm-hmm. was 32 or 33 before I ever had an orgasm like be like that. Yeah. And I thought there was something wrong with me or I thought this was God punishing me because I had had sex before marriage. That so was just yeah. like not in the cards for me. Oh um, so anyway, I had my own issues like outside of Beecher's identity. Yeah. Um, and so I, I went to therapy and then I just kind of realized, I kind of asked myself, am I straight? Am, am I bi? Um, and then he, the funny thing is, like looking back on my life, I had always been attracted to women mm. at various points. Like I would have dreams. Like I didn't have sex dreams very often, but mm-hmm. if I did, it was always with a woman. Mm-hmm. Um and I was just kind of, it was just like this little dirty secret that I kept to myself. I'm like, that doesn't mean anything. And I just, I just convinced myself that all straight women are sometimes attracted to their friends. <laughs> yes. You know, like that didn't mean I wasn't straight. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then I was just like, oh, I guess I am bi. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, it helped me realize that yeah. I'm bi, but I, it wasn't like, it wasn't like Beecher turned me that. It was like Beecher... Yeah, a lot like they're finding their freedom and living their authentic self just allowed me, mm-hmm. gave me permission to figure mm-hmm. that out for myself. Mm-hmm. Where like before, like I would have like me being bi would have never like I didn't need to know that information, mm-hmm. you know, prior mm-hmm. to like I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. No, it's it does make sense because it's like what I what I'm learning and what I'm loving about. <laughs> the evangelical sort of progressive space is that we have all of these receipts and we know what we used to believe and we did it wholeheartedly because we believed not only that it was pleasing to God, but that like we might go to hell if we didn't. And so now that people are starting to become free, it's almost like the, the person that we actually are is kind of like bursting Christianity at the seams. Like there is no... Christianity as a container, the way we it was presented to us, the container is just too constricting. And what's happening, people are healing. They're going to therapy. They're learning that like there's nothing to be ashamed of, <laughs> like about yeah. myself. And what's happening is it's like almost like burst, like you're saying, it's like 
almost like bursting the wineskins open. Like there are, we have to have new ways of framing because it feels to me like there is a movement of people being like, I'm just going to be me. And it's so funny, like thinking even about attraction, like, you know, sexuality, because I'm, I'm, I'm in the similar boat of like, <laughs> when my partner started to talk to me about transitioning, it was kind of like, well, I, I just, I'm in love with you. So like, I don't know. I think, so we had this joke kind of when we were dating that like, if you were a kangaroo, that would be my orientation. Like mm. I, I, it's you, right? So it doesn't matter necessarily how they present. Um, and as it's actually, it's the sexiest thing is when someone is actually in their skin anyway. So yeah. it's been really kind of a beautiful thing to, like even push off the expectations of people that would say like, you have to figure out like, what are you and how do you identify? Cause that could change it. The way that I talk about it could change for me. Like I just recently have been more public about being non-binary, but I'm present. I'm saying that I'm a non-binary black woman because to mm -hmm. me, being a black woman in America is ontologically a thing. It is there. There is, there's like a legacy and a history and a richness to, to black womanhood that I'm like not going to part with. Although I don't feel like I myself am a girl. Mm. Um, and so I feel like there's so much freedom for us to kind of like figure things out. I'm, I'm curious though, cause some of the stuff that you're saying, I'm like, yo, like evangelicalism is really, it's really harmful. Like it, it's like hearing you talk and I'm like, gosh, we believe some really, horrific things about yeah. God, actually. So how do you feel like you, what happened for you in terms of your faith? Like, where did you get to the place? So you said you didn't vote for Trump, but you were a Christian nationalist. Can you tell me like how you, how did you exit? <laughs> like what, yeah. what happened? Yeah. Okay. So how did I exit? Well, Trump was a big part of that <laughs> exit because I mean, I was a pretty diehard Republican, mm -hmm. um, you know, equating Christianity with voting red yeah, many times, um, as like most white evangelicals, I feel like do. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. So flip side, like outside of Beecher in 2015, so about a year before the, you know, the election, mm -hmm. um, one of my brothers came out to me as gay. Mm -hmm. And um, so that kind of, I was kind of like deconstructing sexuality because of my brother and gender because of future mm -hmm. kind mm -hmm. of simultaneously at the same time. Wow. Um, but I don't, I don't really know how to explain it. It was, it was like a 10 year process mm -hmm. from getting out. And I think the first thing that opened my eyes. So I think when you're a Christian nationalist, you, my faith was so interconnected with my political ideology. Like mm -hmm. they were one in the same so mm -hmm. that like, so in 2011, my dad died of cancer. Mm -hmm. We believed he was going to be healed because we were, we were Pentecostal. Mm -hmm. So I, and then when he passed away, it was just kind of like, Oh, well clearly mm -hmm. just having enough faith doesn't mean God's going to answer your prayer. That's wrong. I was mm -hmm. taught that. I believe that that is clearly wrong mm -hmm. because that, didn't happen for me. Mm -hmm. Um, so I started deconstructing Pentecostalism and like mm -hmm. being charismatic first, mm -hmm. um, and like faith healing and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, but because it was so interconnected, it was like little chinks of everything mm -hmm. kind of started to unravel like little by little over several yep. years. Mm -hmm. Um, and 
yeah, I, I wish I, I wish I could point to like one big mm-hmm. moment, but I think one, it took me a while to even realize that I had been a Christian nationalist. And mm-hmm. I think my, like, I, I started understanding Christian nationalism. Like I knew Christian Trump supporters were definitely Christian nationalists. Like there's mm-hmm. no world in which Trump is God's chosen and you're not a Christian nationalist, <laughs> but I, America. I know, but, but then I had this epiphany while I was watching um, Jan- the live news on January 6th, mm-hmm. you know, and you, you see people like beating a cop and you, with they had like a blue lives matter flag behind them. It was like, make that make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so many Jesus signs and flags and like, even like the prayer rally that they had had, like leading up to January 6th. And like, I just, the language that they were saying was so familiar. Like it, I was just like, Oh shoot. Mm-hmm. I was a freaking Christian nationalist. And and it was like this moment, like if my, my life had played out differently, could I have been there? And then it was even more alarming because I don't know if you know, um, the Texas realtor that got arrested. Um, she, she was, she had tweeted that there was no way she would go to prison because she was white. <laughs> Um, she did go to prison. Granted, it was only for like 60 days, but still. Um, anyway, she went to my dad's church. Wow. And so, and then Beecher actually knew, do you remember Zip Tie Guy? Yeah. Oh my gosh. He went to Beecher's youth group in Georgia. And so it was kind of like this, like, oh okay, God. if you went to church in the South and you were white, your chances of knowing someone arrested in the insurrection like really shoot up. <laughs> we knew two people, both from church, both in the South. Wow. Like, oh shoot. Okay. Well that could have just, it was just, it was like this eerie, like, ew, like I am so close to that. Mm-hmm. Even though I was, I didn't storm the Capitol. It was mm-hmm. kind of like, well, I could have, like mm-hmm. if my circumstances had been different and mm-hmm. I didn't wake up earlier and start seeing the humanity and people that thought differently than me. Yeah. That, that could have been me. And that was a very like, eye-opening, scary, and humbling yeah. realization. Yeah. It's it's interesting to me too, because I know I'm not keeping you, but it's interesting to me because I think I, I knew people who was there and that said, um, I, there was a girl, I can't remember her name, probably shouldn't say her name. She was being um, interviewed on the news and I was like, oh my gosh, that girl was on my prayer team. Like, oh no. <laughs> We used to meet, so we had these like side rooms in the prayer room where I, mm. where I was when I was in Kansas City. And this girl and I used to get up in the morning and like pray together for revival. Wow! <laughs> and I'm like, she's on the news um, on January 6th talking about how Jesus is coming and how this is. And I'm like, you know, for me, it was a little bit different. Obviously, it was Trayvon. Trayvon Martin was what kind of woke me up to it. Mm. And so interesting to me that like the only reason that like a like a white supremacist and like a person from my prayer team would be in the same place is white Jesus. <laughs> like yeah. That's the only thing they have in common and that's when I'm like that's what I'm kind of like trying to help people understand now is like that this thing there weren't it, it seems like and what people it feels like want to do is go like there's no way I would have done January 6th or mm-hmm. like there's no way I would have been involved in something like, you know, not being on the side of civil rights in the past. But I'm like, look at the issues that we're facing right now. 
these are civil rights issues. And so you would have done then what you're doing right now. Like, how are you engaging these issues now? So it feels to me like, it feels to me like there is very much a moment where people are going, wait, like I signed up for Jesus, but I didn't sign up for this. Mm -hmm. And people are kind of of their own volition. Like you're saying, like, in what world is Donald Trump God's candidate? And I, I feel really kind of grateful for folks who are like, wait a minute, <laughs> mm-hmm. one of these things is not like the other and getting it on their own and then going so far as to go on healing journeys, go to therapy and then begin to talk about it and share their receipts. Because I feel like there are so many people who are who are stuck um, in a really toxic belief system and yeah. don't know how to get out. And I feel like what I'm loving that you're doing, folks like Tim, like what you guys are doing is really helping people kind of see the fallacy there that I think a lot of times people of color are just have been so um, like buried underneath so much toxic theology that those voices don't really break through right away. And Mm -hmm. so what you all are doing is really opening the door for people to begin to learn from other people and hear from other people and see other perspectives. And I'm like, I'm just like super, super grateful for you, super grateful for your humor. If you could, if you could talk about like kind of where you all are at now, like you're, you're out, you, you've got a platform, you're helping people understand these things. How would you describe like your marriage today? Yeah. I think that's like one of the more surprising things is, you know, when you're, when you're, really in evangelicalism, you kind of have this like worst case scenario idea in your head, like, oh, if I come out, then this is going to happen. This is going to ruin our marriage. We're going to lose community. We're going to lose everything. Um, And, you know, to, to be fair, like Beecher lost their job when they came out. Um, They were at a Christian college. Uh, We did like, we pretty much lost our church community. Mm -hmm. Like they were they would want to get like the one final coffee, the coffee day, right? Oh, yeah. The coffee day where they, you know, hurt our heart, but really they were like, but "What about sin? <laughs> like, what about it?" Um, Golly, um, which is really interesting. Just this is a sidebar, but it's funny to me. Anytime we talk to like a evangelical pastor, like mm-hmm. our pastor or like Beecher's boss, who was also like a pastor for a long time, the thing that they would come to, like Beecher, would be like, you know, I just. I feel like the fruit of what's happening speaks so much. Like I'm happy. I'm at peace. Our, our, like our marriage has never been better. And almost every time they would respond like, yeah, but is life about being happy? Right. And then you realize like, they're not happy. And us finding happiness is really triggering for people who are still in it, which mm-hmm. is why they've got to like, oh, well, they're just living in sin. There's mm-hmm. pleasure in sin for a season. Mm-hmm. And like, they have to write it off. Yes. Um, yeah. Anyway. Our, and just like I had said, our marriage really has never been better. Like we just before even even before Beecher came out, like we tried to fit gender roles mm-hmm. that society and like the church had put on us. Mm-hmm. Um, like I felt like as the wife, I was my job to do most of the cooking and the cleaning. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. even though like I worked full time when we first got married, I still was like, oh, well, I'm have to be the domestic one. Um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Beecher 
like, and I'm not a good cook. Like I, I overtook cooked the kitchen, the, the chicken, the dry chicken. I oversalted the beans. One time I tried to make a casserole, but I put the plastic lid on it. So it just melted in the oven, like on the, like, I'm not a good cook, but I tried really hard because I felt like I had to, or like I would fail as a woman if I couldn't. And meanwhile, Beecher is like an amazing chef and loves cooking. Oh but we God. felt like we were just like fighting against our natural strengths yes. because we felt like we had to fit our gendered boxes. Yes. Um, so even outside of like gender, uh, Beecher's gender identity, we already like I've, I was grew up like at the time that people would have called me to to- a tomboy. tomboy. Like mm-hmm. I have much more masculine <laughs> traits than a lot of mm-hmm. at least like society mm-hmm. things, which makes me think like these are not masculine traits. These are just mm-hmm. traits that indeed some, that people, some people have and some people don't. Yeah. Um, so, but now we've like Beecher pretty much cooks all of our meals because wow. like, I mean, I'll do it every once in a while yeah. like, if I need to, but like Beecher does most of the cooking. I do the dishes. I yeah. would rather, I would rather do the dishes than cook the meal. Yeah. I get like super in my head of like pressure of like, what if this is terrible? And cause it has been terrible many <laughs> times in the past. Um, and like Beecher just, it, we're just like open, like, yeah, Beecher does the cooking and there's like yeah. not this shame behind it. Like before yeah. we'd have to be like. Yeah, be sure to say something. Like, <laughs> um, yeah. fair, like we have family members that are like, April doesn't cook. Like early <laughs> on, like horrified. I'm like, trust me, you don't want me to cook. It's so interesting how I mean, I can't imagine. I I, I have deep respect for you because I, I'm like, I, I I grew up in a black family, so there was a relative amount of like common sense for some stuff, mm-hmm. but like to be that deep in it it's probably very hard to walk away because you're walking away from, from a lot. I'm watching my, my partner was homeschooled, large family, Mm. like um, the explosiveness of just saying I'm non-binary. I'm still me. I'm just non-binary. And the way that their family just blew up. Mm. Um, There is a, a, an amount of um, deep respect I have for folks who are like, just let it blow up then. Like I'd rather be happy and free than like bound to this. Um, So I appreciate you and like totally going to gas you up from here (laughs) on out. I'd share all of your stuff. My final questions that I ask everybody are, um, you know, what are you bringing from the rubble? So if there was something worth keeping from what you had before, what is that thing? Then like, what are you binging? Like a show or whatever. And then what are some words we can live by? And so you can do that in any order. Okay. Um, what am I keeping from the rubble? Um, I would say Jesus, but like not the white one, like the actual like classic brown Jesus that was Middle Eastern and classic Jewish. And, yeah. Um, OG I, Jesus. Yeah. OG Jesus. Exactly. Um, I, I, I still very much adhere to the teachings of Jesus and yeah. I think he's super rad. And if we I, actually were following Jesus, a lot of our problems in the church would not exist. Indeed. Um, so that's what I'm keeping. What am I binging? Um, the, I would say the best show that I've seen recently was Silo. On okay. You're Apple the second TV. person that has said that show, actually. Yeah. it's a, It was sci-fi, but it was like really like, – it was the first show in probably a year or so that like I couldn't wait to watch the yeah. next episode because there's cliffhangers. Yeah. And it, it was really good. Currently, though, I've already finished that, but currently <laughs> I'm watching Dave. Dave. Dave on it's a an FX show, but it's on <laughs> Hulu. But it's about little Dicky, who's a who's a <laughs> white rapper. 
like oh who's God. a real he's a real white yeah. rapper but and he's show, dope too yeah so the yeah. show is based around little dicky but it's it's a fiction show so it's kind of like how seinfeld's about jerry seinfeld but it's yeah fiction. that's what dave is oh, it's wow, super okay. funny and, but wow. it's like it also dives into like rap culture and uh like it, it does a lot of fun stuff with like racial commentary but yeah. like in a heavy yeah. fun way also mm-hmm. at the same time. Um, yeah. But it's, I, I really, it's really, this season's really funny. Okay, cool. So, yeah. Awesome. What's some words we can live by? Oh gosh. Um, God, what are some words we can live by? I feel like when I was evangelical, I would have had like so many, like, just give it to God. You <laughs> um, <laughs> could literally be smoke weed every day. Like, <laughs> whatever. Okay, cool. Um, I would just say like, live your truth yeah. and and love your neighbor. Honestly, like, I feel like loving your neighbor is like what I keep going back to. Cause yeah. it's like, if you just love people, it, all the other stuff just doesn't matter. Yeah. Like just to see like someone for their who they are for their core, yeah. Not based on what I think someone should be or not, but just yeah. real learning to accept people for who they are mm-hmm. and not some preconceived notion that mm-hmm. society's told me to put on people. That's so good. Yo, thank you so much. I think you're dope. I'm <laughs> thankful for you. I'm thankful that you and Beach are happy. I'm thankful for orgasms. I hope <laughs> amen. Get, I hope you get orgasms 30, 60, 100 fold. Hey, <laughs> amen. I really Thank appreciate you. <laughs> orgasms for all. Orgasms for the world, man. Like yeah. that's the thing. I, I did queer theology recently and I was like, you know, if you've had an orgasm, you want orgasms for everyone, mm-hmm. like orgasms for the world. So everybody that's mad, I, I think they're probably just not having orgasms. I think so too, because <laughs> our orgasms matter. We they do. Like make little shirts. My <laughs> orgasm matters. Mom. <laughs> mom. Mom's orgasms matter too. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To put your money in your heart is donate to Subculture Inc. And clear the path for black students today.